Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs. In the second chapter, it's the opening five verses, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke in the 12th chapter beginning at verse 13 and continuing through verse 20. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here ends this reading from God's holy word. On this, the second Sunday after Easter, we're still close enough to that festival day that we haven't yet forgotten our collective celebratory joy that we experienced then. Our lectionary readings throughout this season of Eastertide that take us up to the day of Pentecost next month typically include selections that relate some of the post-resurrection encounters the disciples had with the risen Christ. But this morning, I opted to forego the suggested readings for the day in order to consider something that Jesus said as he ministered well before his crucifixion, something that was brought to mind by Hammond Smith's final days. The account that we heard this morning appears only here in the Gospel according to Luke, which doesn't make it any less important, though it does make it rather unique in the New Testament record. The teaching is prompted by a request a request that comes from a member of the crowd of people who had come to see and to hear Jesus. And this fellow who came had a very clear agenda, and it involved possessions. For whatever the reason, he wanted stuff that his brother wasn't allowing him to have. 
And he thought that Jesus would have the power, or at least the authority, to speak to this brother of his and, and have him relinquish the things that he thought were rightfully his. But Jesus, though, wasn't having it. He stays out of that family argument, but he uses the scenario as yet another of his springboards into a teaching moment. While y'all want to argue about the treasures of this world, and by the way, these brothers were not the first nor the last to do so, I can still recall the scene at my grandmother's house right after she died with all of her surviving children descending like vultures on her homestead to get the things out that they wanted or the things that they just didn't want anyone else to have from her measly collection of nearly worthless knickknacks. The repercussions from that day rippled down through the years and has even been passed down through the generations in that family, my family. And for what? That's the point of Jesus' lesson here in the 12th chapter of Luke. I was reminded of it again these past few days as I, like you, have been processing the death of Hammond Smith. As the cover of this morning's bulletin pontificates, some people are so poor, all they have is money. That is their currency. That's what they live for. That's what sustains them. But the trouble with that is, for most mortals, we can never get enough. We can never have enough to be satisfied, to put ourselves at peace. We forever have to guard against shortfalls and resort to doing whatever it takes, even if it means depriving the other, so that we can have enough. Our insecurity over money, over stuff, leads us only into more insecurity in this vicious cycle of poverty. Jesus tells the story of one guy who finally seems to have made it. He spent his life struggling to get to a place where he can finally feel comfortable about having enough. And right at that moment, everything he has is going to be taken from him. So much for the currency of currency. It just doesn't stand the test of time. It will eventually pass away. So it turns out not to be as secure an investment as folks are led to believe. Striving after it and even achieving what we believe will be enough will never truly satisfy us. I think Hammond understood this lesson. This past week, as I was preparing for his memorial service and internment yesterday, I... I was reflecting on the time that I had spent with him, and this morning's sermon is prompted in part by some of that time. Throughout his eight and a half decades, Hammond had acquired a, a fair bit for folks around these parts. Land, equipment, proceeds from land sales and agricultural operations, no doubt. But if that was all, he would have been, like the man in the parable, a, a rich or at least well-off fool. 
Regardless of his bank statements, if that were the most important of the things that he had obtained in this life, then I submit he would have died a poor man. And that goes for all of us, not just Hammond, by the way. I think that's the point that Jesus is making here in the telling of this parable. Be on your guard, he says, and your guard and your guard and your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Instead, our lives are given meaning by what we do with what we have. A person can make little with much, and conversely, a person can make a little count for a lot. It's true, often the world judges us on the car we drive or the house we inhabit or the clothes we wear, but I don't really think that God cares a lick for name brands unless, of course, the label reads Jesus. We are his, and he has done for us far more than any mansion, any Maserati, or any Michael Jordan sneaker. For what use are any of those things to us in the end? As I said yesterday afternoon at Hammond's committal, every one of us will sooner or later find ourselves wheeled to the edge of an open grave or urn. The only thing that will matter then is whether we have Jesus or, more correctly, whether Jesus has us. I had been regularly visiting the Smith Farm in Shelltown, and at some point during, during the course of, well, pretty nearly every visit that I had with him, Hammond would ask whether this church had yet received the money from last year's crop harvest from the glebe. Every time I had to tell him that no, as of yet, as far as I knew, we hadn't. And then he would say, I have to get Tommy on that. And so it went. And it so happened, wouldn't you know it, that less than three hours after his death, an envelope addressed to the church was opened by the clerk, and inside was the check for last year's proceeds from the harvest of the glebe. The truth is, and you all know this just as well as he did, the church didn't need that money. Yes, the more funds we have, the more things we can do, such as making more benevolence gifts to a wide array of ministry partners, including Dig Deep, but the church does not need the money Hammond collected last year from the proceeds of the five acres of corn and or beans, but the sort of giving that Hammond was practicing was just the sort of thing that his father and others of his generation participated in and called the Lord's Acre, based on the biblical traditions defining and designating the first fruits of all the Hebrews which are spelled out in the Pentateuch, if you want to go back and read them. That program is mentioned on that hand-painted sign that's on display to this day in the narthex. 
The giving that was described in the Old Testament, that which was implemented as part of the Lord's Acre program, the tithes and the offerings that you are invited to give today, none of these were ordained on account of the needs of the church. The religious institution and those she serves through a variety of means may be the beneficiary of those gifts, to be sure, But the act itself is not about the church. The act is about the giver. It is about the sacrifice that is being done as a grateful response to God's goodness to us. He is the one who has so richly blessed us with all that we have, with all indeed that we are. Everything we have is his. We have been granted the privilege of stewarding some of it for a while, but it's not ours. We often forget this. Part of what we do when we give to the church is to remind ourselves that all our time and our talent and our treasures belong to the Lord from whence they proceedeth. That is, I think, at the heart of Jesus' message about the rich man Not that it was a bad thing that he was wealthy, but rather that it was a bad thing that he was such a fool. Here's a guy who has applied himself to those things that make for a successful agricultural businessman. And at the pinnacle of his achievement, he was giving thought to finally being able to retire because he had gathered what he figured he'd need in his golden years. But in his careful planning, he had excluded the very thing, the very one, who was most important. In so doing, this otherwise capable man was incapable of recalling and observing the very first commandment, the one about putting God, the one true God, above all things in this life. This man was rich in wealth and poor in spirit. I think of folks today like the new owner of Twitter, the wealthiest man in the world, or the man who may control even more wealth, the one who's orchestrated this unprovoked and inexcusable invasion of a neighboring country. People like these may seem to have it all. Fame to go with the fortunes they control, jets, Electric cars, fleets of satellites, spaceships, armies. But none of it can they take with them. And I wonder if they're headed down the same path as the rich fool in this parable, making provisions for themselves while failing to honor the God of the universe. If any of us, if I am making the mistake of the rich fool, May this serve as a lesson, as a reminder to myself and to y'all of our need to put God first in all things. For in the final analysis, it all belongs to him, all our stuff and all ourselves. And that's all he's asking in return. And for that, we may truly say, Thanks be to God, and amen.